Fewer MLPs and American Exceptionalism, August 23, 2023. The diminishing number of MLPs has started to draw attention from sell-side analysts. Morgan Stanley's Robert Cadd wrote in his Midstream Weekly that consolidation was likely to, in quotes, impact active manager mandates that have been dedicated to the sector, close quotes. The shrinking pool of MLPs and its impact on MLP-dedicated funds has been a developing problem for years. The changed business model during the height of the Shell Revolution favored growth over distribution stability. The subsequent downturn saw cuts in payouts that soured the traditional investor base of wealthy individuals. See the disappearing MLP buyer from March 2020. Many MLPs responded by rolling up into their C-Corp GP parents, sometimes with adverse tax consequences for their holders. This began in 2015. See Kinder shows the MLP model is changing. The one-oak combination with Magellan Midstream is similarly imposing an unwelcome tax bill on long-time unit holders of the latter. Robert Cadd goes on to suggest that MLP-dedicated funds may adopt broader mandates, perhaps to broad infrastructure or the energy transition, although attractive opportunities in wind and solar are rare, in our opinion. Wind power mandates are being renegotiated because the suppliers are losing money. See why aren't renewable stocks soaring. CAD notes that diversifying away from MLPs will create selling pressure. Keeping MLP exposure below 25% avoids the tax liability faced by MLP funds such as the Alarian MLP ETF, AMLP. It's a binary rule. 26% exposure to MLPs still renders the entire fund liable for corporate taxes. As we've noted before, investors in MLP-dedicated funds should worry about whether and how their funds modify their portfolios. See why MLP fund investors should care when they change from October 2020. Slowly switching into C-Corps would impose triple taxation on those holdings because the fund would remain taxable until MLPs fell below 25%. A gradual switch could lessen the market impact at the expense of additional taxes. There's an advantage to being a first mover, so the managers of the Invesco Steelpath family of MLP-dedicated funds and AMLP are probably watching each other warily, wondering what the other will do. AMLP updates is on realized tax liability every day. As of August 21, it was $357 million. AMLP is once more a taxpayer, so its NAV will only appreciate by around 79% of its index, one minus the corporate tax rate. It's a terribly inefficient structure. Earlier this year, Verify, publisher of AMLP's benchmark, sought stakeholder input on potential changes to the index. The pressure for change is growing. Investors in MLP-dedicated funds, many of whom have tax-deductible losses, have little upside in the process. Midstream energy infrastructure has been quietly outperforming the market recently. So far in August, the American Energy Independence Index is ahead by 3.5%. The extreme low of COVID in March 2020 provides a flattering point of comparison but even over the past three years, the AEITR is ahead by 15% per annum. Strong performance in 2021 to 22 inevitably ran out of steam, and this year a small number of stocks with an AI angle have made diversification look pedestrian. But every trend ends, and the release of second quarter earnings has coincided with energy infrastructure gaining momentum. It helps that earnings were generally good. Results of plus or minus 5% of consensus were the norm, apart from Chenier, which seems to reliably beat, raise, and repeat, to quote J.P. Walker's Jeremy Tanet. The broader pattern has been in evidence for several quarters. 
The positives are well known to investors. Reduced growth capex is supporting growing free cash flow, which is leading to improved dividend coverage 1.7 times in 2022 and falling leverage below three and a half times debt to EBITDA by year end of 2023. This is supporting dividend increases and stock buybacks. The energy transition and climate change put two competing visions at conflict. Rich world countries want lower emissions, while developing countries want higher living standards, which require using more energy. G7 countries have generally reduced energy consumption over the past decade, and their citizens' living standards have stayed flat. The U.S. is a notable exception in that energy consumption has grown, aided by the shale revolution and its corresponding increase in domestic supply. Nonetheless, our emissions have fallen, mainly because the mix has shifted from coal to natural gas. Renewables have also contributed modestly to this. By contrast with the rest of the G7, Americans have enjoyed rising living standards during this time, see celebrating the 4th of July. The reasons are complex and not solely due to our energy policies, but a decade reflects the policy choices each country has made. I'm not sure why the combination of energy consumption, emissions reduction, and per capita GDP growth achieved by any of the other six members of the G7 would be preferable to what we've achieved in America. No U.S. president should ever feel the need to apologize for American exceptionalism. The world could use more of what we have here.